listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. First scripture reading this morning is found in your Pew Bible on page 1. Genesis 1, verse 31 through chapter 2, verse 3. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Before we dive in today, <clears throat> I want to tell you all a little bit about my Monday mornings. Um, every once in a while, someone will ask me, it's a pretty good question. What does a pastor actually do for the rest of the week? Um, and this isn't really going to answer it, but it'll give you a, a little piece, and I think it's relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, so every Monday, I usually show up here at the church office between like 8.30 and 9. And the first thing I really like to do is I take like the first hour or so, and I start to do some prep work for the upcoming sermon. I'll like read the text, write down some notes, see if I have any questions, if there's anything that stands out to me. <clears throat> But before I do that, before I even get to that part, the very first thing I try to do is look at my calendar for the week. And that's not because I'm like super organized, um, it's actually because I can be kind of absent-minded. And so if I don't start out Monday morning looking at my calendar, there's gonna be something that week that I forget about, which is always kind of awkward when that happens. And this past Monday, when I looked at my calendar, I realized that this was gonna be a really jam-packed week. Um, I volunteered at the diversity conference at the college this past Thursday, which was an awesome time. I actually ran into a few of you there, which was cool. Um, and I made some new friends, which is always fun. But then Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday was the uh, regional meeting for our denomination, the American Baptist Churches of Rochester. Um, and so that only left Monday through Thursday to do all the stuff I normally do throughout the week, write a sermon, visit people, meetings, prep for worship, all that kind of stuff. And so as I looked at my schedule, I realized that I wasn't going to get a day off this week, which like stinks, but that happens sometimes, right? Um, we all have weeks like this where you just plow through and kind of get to the end of it. Plus, you know, I'm young enough. I have the energy. It's fine. So I just press on and don't worry about no uh, day off, no big deal. So then I put down my calendar and I look at the text for this week. Which, which, of course, is about Sabbath. Um, yeah, God's kind of funny like that sometimes. <laughs> Around here at this church, we like to talk about God sightings, like moments when God shows up in your life in very tangible ways. And I don't know if this really qualifies, but sometimes I think God is just messing with me. And uh, that was the case this week, <clears throat> for sure. Uh, it's week three of our Genesis series, and we're finally getting out of chapter one. Um, which I promise we're going to pick up the pace a little bit starting next week because otherwise it's going to take us like six months to get through the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Nobody has time for that. 
But today we're at day seven, the Sabbath, the day when God ceases from the work of creation and rests. Now, if you've ever read the first chapter of Genesis before, you know that there's a lot going on here. The text is kind of frantic with all this creative activity. God makes this, and then God makes this, and then God blesses it, and God calls it good, and then God makes this, and God makes this, and calls it good, and it repeats and goes over and over. It's kind of exhausting to read, honestly. But then we get to day seven, and God rests. You can almost feel this like easing of tension. God stops. God rests. And then God blesses the seventh day and calls it holy. Before I came out here to be your pastor, um, I was a theology professor in Los Angeles. And I remember this one time in a lecture, I made some reference to the seven days of creation in Genesis 1. And right away, this poindexter in the front row raises his hand and tries to one-up me, tries to one-up the professor, which is, is never that good of an idea. Um, and this guy was like, he was like, um, actually, professor, creation only took six days. On the seventh day, God rested. Nerd. <laughs> I should, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that, that's mean. Still, though, <clears throat> That student's little snarky comment does raise an interesting question about how we view this seventh day in the creation story. Is the Sabbath, is, is the day of rest part of creation? Does it belong? Is it a part of God's creative process, or is it something else? Is the Sabbath an add-on? Is it some tacked-on additional thing that's separate from the act of creation itself? Does God make the world in six days or in seven? Luckily, the text gives us some clues, but unfortunately, you have to be able to read Hebrew to actually see them. Lucky for us, though, I did some homework. And I got to warn you, this is going to get super nerdy, um, so I hope you're all ready for this, all right? <clears throat> but check this out. The very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, the original language, that verse contains seven words. And those words contain 28 letters, which is seven times four. The second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2, contains 14 words in Hebrew, which is seven times two. The section on Sabbath that we read today, uh, Genesis 2, 1-3, contains 35 words. I have to check my math. Seven times five. <clears throat> In this creation account, the earth is mentioned exactly 21 times, seven times three. And the sky or the firmament is also mentioned exactly 21 times, seven times three. The word God shows up in this text 35 times, seven times five. <clears throat> the phrase, it was so, appears seven times. That's seven times one. Yeah, we got it? Okay, we're all keeping up. <clears throat> and then the phrase, and it was good, also appears seven times. There are these repeating patterns of seven laced throughout this entire creation story. There's actually more. I found a huge list online, but I don't want to be here all day. It's almost though as if this rhythm, this structure, has been intentionally worked into the text. Six days of work, one day of rest. It's like... 
It's like the author's trying to say that there's something in this pattern of seven that is foundational to the very fabric of creation. The space, the rest, it's all part of it. And this pushes against the way we tend to think about rest in our culture, right? Like we tend to think of rest as something extra, something additional, a luxury that maybe we get to do sometimes, not something that is central to the whole. Just think about how we talk about rest. Oh, I was so lazy today. I got nothing done. I was so unproductive. Has anyone here ever apologized for resting? A few? Yeah. Sorry I took that personal day yesterday. I just needed a break. It'll never happen again. Yeah. We talk a good game about self-care and like work-life balance and things like that, but no one has ever been promoted or gotten a raise because of their dedication to rest. The notion of Sabbath from Genesis pushes back on this assumption of our culture that rest is somehow separate from the whole. Just realize I'm supposed to be doing my own slides. There we go. There's this great quote. It's from French composer Claude Debussy. Am I saying that right, Aaron? My wife's a French expert, so okay. Um, Claude Debussy once said that music is all about the space between the notes. A great composition or a great pop song, it isn't just raw sound. It has form. It has rhythm. And it's the pauses, the breaths, the rests that gives music that form. You all know our organist, Kim? There she is. Yeah. Um, I've asked Kim to play a simple song for us on the organ to kind of demonstrate this idea. So whenever you're ready, Kim, I want you to give it a go. Excellent, excellent, very good. Now, if you could, I want you to play that song again, but this time I want you to take all the spaces out from between the notes. Just let it all kind of run together. Let's see how that sounds. All right, let's hear it for Kim. That was great. That was awesome. That was fun. Now, which one of those sounded more appealing? Do I, even, do I have to ask? It was the first one, right? I hope. Because it had flow, it had rhythm, it had breaks, it had pauses. That second one was just kind of a, just a mess of noise. You could still discern it as Mary had a little lamb, but much less appealing. It's the same in design, if you think about like graphic design. Negative space is crucial. You, for this logo for the Bronx Zoo, you can see the buildings between the legs of the animals. You see that, how negative design gets used there? Yeah. Whether we're talking about the space between columns in architecture, or the space in a room, or how an artist uses the blank space in an image, a lot of times the space between objects actually says more than the objects itself. And it's the same in life. This text and the notion of Sabbath is getting at this idea that our lives apart from rest lose their form. They lose their order. Think about a good morning versus a bad morning. I know for me that if I rush through my morning, if I'm running late, 
If I don't have time to eat breakfast, if I'm just grabbing like a cereal bar on my way out the door, or a Pop-Tart or something like that, I'm going to have a bad day. On the other hand, if I take my time in the morning, if I don't rush, if I take time to make a good breakfast, if I sit down and have food with my kids before they go off to school, nine times out of ten, that's going to be a pretty good day. This creation story is inviting us into rest with the declaration that God himself rests from the work of creating the universe. And if rest is good enough for God, then rest is good enough for us. Now, I want to dig into this idea of Sabbath a little bit deeper, this practice of setting aside a day to to rest. And to do that, I want to look into how Sabbath played into two pivotal events from the history of Israel, the Exodus and the Exile. Exodus and exile are kind of like bookends to Israel's story in our Bible. Exodus marked their origin as a people, and exile was the event that nearly destroyed them, nearly wiped them out. And Sabbath was pretty central to both. So let's start with Exodus. The Israelites started out as slaves in Egypt. If you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments, or if you've heard the story of Moses, you know this story. You know that God led Israel out of slavery in very dramatic fashion. But the Israelites didn't go right from being slaves to having their own country. They took 40 years to wander through the desert, what we call the Exodus, where they were searching for a home. And over the course of those 40 years, God transformed the Israelites from a nation of slaves into a free people. And one of the key practices that helped with that transition was the institution of the Sabbath. In Egypt, the Israelites had to work day after day building bricks for Pharaoh. There were no breaks, there were no holidays, you didn't get a day off. Your value as a human being was solely dependent on what you could produce, how many bricks you could make. And so one of the first commands God gives the Israelites after they escape Egypt is to take one day a week and just stop. Take one day to breathe, to rest, to enjoy life, to be one day to realize that you're not a machine. Maybe you found yourself in a sort of Egypt. Maybe that sounds a little familiar. Maybe you've been running from place to place trying to please Pharaoh, sacrificing your health, your well-being, your family and friends, believing the lie that your value depends on how much you can make, how much you produce, the grade you get on your next paper. Sabbath is a reminder that we are more valuable than we think. That we are human beings, not human doings. And that God calls us to wholeness and rest. Many years after the Exodus, the people of God found themselves dominated once again by a bigger, meaner kingdom. This time it was Babylon. And they lost everything to the Babylonians. They lost their land, their temple, everything, their independence. And after Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, the survivors were carried off into exile, forcibly taken from their home into a place that they didn't know. And when Israel's prophets, the truth-tellers, looked at what was happening to their people and tried to explain it, they blamed the exile on Israel's failure to keep Sabbath, which is really interesting. In Jewish law, Sabbath isn't just for people. Animals are supposed to have a day of rest. 
Laborers, who are people but aren't, you know, the nation, are supposed to have a day of rest. Because this pattern of work and rest, it's not just for us. It's central to the very fabric of creation. There's even a law in the Old Testament that every seven years, the Israelites were supposed to let the ground rest. Not plant anything, not harvest anything, just eating whatever sprung up naturally from the ground. It's kind of like the original paleo diet. But unfortunately, the Israelites never kept that law. They worked their land and their animals and their poor laborers day after day, year after year with no rest. They forgot the lessons they learned in Egypt, and the Israelites became their own pharaohs. And so the exile is explained as a chance for the ground to rest. God allows the people to be carried off so that the ground can finally lay still and just be. And by the way, the exile lasted 70 years, which for anyone without a calculator is seven years times 10. Part of Sabbath is about recognizing our own limits, accepting the fact that we are human, not machines. But another part of the Sabbath, which is equally important, is a warning to not become like Pharaoh. To not only respect our own limits, but the limits of others, so that we don't exploit the land or the poor, but recognize the inherent value of all life. Occasionally I'll go out on like a Sunday afternoon or maybe sometimes like late in the evening and I'll usually go to like a, like a restaurant or some place of business and I find that by the time I get there, it's closed. This happened to Aaron and I um, maybe a few weeks ago or a month ago. I can't remember. It was um, either July 4th, a Memorial Day weekend, something like that. We tried to check out the Millhouse restaurant, but we got there and it was closed for the holiday. And I got like really ticked off. Like, I was, I was way more indignant than I had any right to be. Because how dare these people let their employees have a little extra time with their families on a holiday? Yeah, I know that for me, Sabbath is a pretty important rem- reminder to check my own privilege, my own sense of entitlement. To realize not only that the, that the, that the world doesn't revolve around my work, but also just not around me as a person that there are larger patterns of work and rest, seasons and holidays, that time itself is a sacred gift from God and not mine to exploit. I know we're having audio issues. I know what's happening. But may the invitation to Sabbath be a challenge and a gift to us all. May we heed the call to recognize our own limitations as a God-given gift and to also respect that gift in others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath. We thank you for calling us into wholeness, fullness, and rest. We ask that you would bless us with the wisdom and the humility to accept that invitation. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. 
This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.